You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Well, hello there, and we are back aboard. Yes, we took a little spring break. It was spring break in Florida for all of the students, including the two that are in my household. So we took a little spring break on the podcast, but we have returned on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I am merely the somewhat competent, not very well-rested host because there's been too much basketball going on. TJ Reeves, he is the owner-operator, the purveyor of SportsMediaWatch.com. Paulson, a.k.a. John Lewis, back aboard. Uh, I actually like this time period right now of Monday and Tuesday because I try to catch up on a little bit of sleep on everything else that we're doing because the games are back later on in the week. John, how you feeling? Happy March Madness. How are things? Uh, you know, going as well as they can go, right? Uh, spring break's always good. And then the return to a normalcy, not quite so much. <laughs> Amen on that, including in my household where it was very rough for school this week on, yes, you have to get in the bed before 1130. And yes, yeah. you're going to be up tomorrow before 10 a.m. It is going to happen uh, to get everybody back. And so people are battling that depending on where you are, where you're hearing us. By the way, speaking of where they're hearing us, uh, you can always find us through John's site, sportsmediawatch.com. And whether you found us through a social media link, whatever the case is, follow or subscribe to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts, find us on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. We come your way early on in the week. And why don't speaking of March Madness, John, why don't we dive right in to what we saw coming off the weekend where the Duke Michigan State game on Sunday afternoon on CBS Duke advancing to the Sweet 16 really carried the weekend ratings wise with a a massive number like we thought it would be leading into 60 minutes like we thought it would be the, the magazine show the news magazine show. Coach K could have potentially been his final game His players rallied won the game with Michigan State. So that was a big audience number. The tournament in general, I saw CBS touting this, is up uh, by some like 10% over last year and doing pretty well. But as always, you are more of the authority on how it's doing ratings-wise. So what about the start to the 2022 men's NCAA tournament? Well, you can't ask for anything better than a five-year high. Uh, for it to be outpacing 2019 is impressive with the obvious caveat that we did not have the out of home uh, in 2019, but that was the Zion year. And the Zion year was big. Getting back to the normal schedule was big. Remember last year, it was Friday to Monday for that opening to, uh, weekend. Mm -hmm. And those Monday games really dragged down the average uh, quite a bit. So to get back to the normal schedule for the first time in three years, I think was important. Good games, very entertaining games. They upset St. Pete, uh, Peter's and in Kentucky, there were more people watching, actually, interestingly enough. I mean, it makes sense from the standpoint of, you know, being on on the, the Thursday night with four different games going on versus being on on the Saturday with three. But there were more people watching that Murray State game that St. Peter's won than uh, were watching the game they won against Kentucky. Wow. So, yeah, about a million more viewers, in fact, 6.69 million. So, uh, you know, um, and in fact, while that was fewer viewers in Michigan, Tennessee or UNC Baylor earlier in the day, you know, that game outdrew Houston, Illinois the following day, earlier time slot, obviously. And there's some interest there for St. Peter's. So, you know, you have that, you have the exciting finishes. Uh, it's, it's good. You know, I mean, look, the tournament is something that, you know, people love for a reason, right? It's not, you know, uh, people weren't told to love the NCAA tournament and then they just ended up like lemmings deciding that they loved it. It's something that every year uh, turns in the kind of compelling, exciting stories that really tend to drive sports viewing. And that's how you end up with schools no one's ever heard of that can draw the kind of numbers, you know, good luck getting 6.69 million viewers for an NBA conference final or baseball league championship series game. But St. Peter's Murray State got that number, uh, you know, on a Saturday night with two other windows going on at the same time. 
including one between Memphis and Gonzaga that had yes. 4.4 million. Yeah, so, and as it turns out, that was a fantastic game, and it ended up, John, being the standalone game. And I, I still, I, I'm hurting even two or three days later to a degree because that's my alma mater, Memphis. They played very hard. They had the lead at halftime. Gonzaga, the presumptive number one team. Almost everybody in America, it seems like, has them in their final four. That was a standalone situation for about the last 90 minutes or so. They were the final game, and it did pretty well on a cable rating. But this is why you're a fascinating resource that the St. Peter's game uh, with Murray State. This is what makes the tournament great, though. The little guy being involved, whether it's St. Peter's this year, previously Loyola Chicago, or uh, George Mason, or Virginia Commonwealth, Wichita State. Uh, the smaller schools, I mean, let us not forget, Gonzaga is a tiny Catholic school out in Spokane, Washington, that has built an empire out of how good they've been. These littler schools with lower budgets, whether you're talking about St. Mary's um, and on and on down the list, Vermont, whoever it is, they get their chance. They get their their at-bat, if you will, to mix sports and metaphors. And, and sometimes they pull an upset, but it's it's neat that they get to be part of it. And it's all over the country that people gravitate for that reason, because usually there's a school or two from your region that you're interested in seeing how they're going to do. Yeah, you know, uh, and ultimately, uh, all the familiar names, Sister Jean becoming a celebrity. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's just it's a great look. college basketball. It's not a strong property. The tournament is a strong property. That's the reality. And, you, you know, you can have four months of regular season games that very few people care, even one iota about. And then the tournament starts. And other than the NFL and, you know, it's kind of interesting because uh, the tournament is so much bigger than the bowl season. But college football is so much bigger than college basketball. So other than the NFL regular and postseason and college football's regular season, I don't think there's anything bigger in sports than the tournament. Well, and as you mention it, uh, I think it, it's worth um, exploring just a little bit what you mean by that, which is the college football regular season is almost like appointment television Saturday afternoon and Saturday night. That is the one night primarily that it's going on. Then the bowls are spread out all through the holidays and people are traveling, so it's different. But like you've said, previous podcasts, everybody knows for these three weekends in March where to yeah. be Thursday through Saturday or Thursday through Sunday for the first two weekends and then Saturday and Monday. Everybody gravitates around those games, office productivity way down. I know a lot of people working from home now, productivity even at home, way down on Thursday and Friday because of the games going on in the afternoon and the night, John. That's the point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and again, you know, um, it's very interesting that comparison between college football, college football's regular season is so much bigger than college basketball. Really, frankly, college football's regular season is bigger than the tournament, actually, in my view. But when you're comparing the bowl season, I mean, the bowl season is nothing, especially right. when you look at their ratings. <laughs> There's no comparison. It's so interesting. College football's bowl season is so irrelevant. And I mean, it's just so not even anything, anyone, anything anyone cares about. Can I interject? It's their own fault. They've so diluted it with so many games and so many teams that have a six and six record or even even some years, a five and seven losing record team gets in. They've so diluted the product and have so many of the games that uh, it's not it's not the same. It would be a bigger deal if there were less of them. Less would mean more. And then we could go into the and, we, and we've talked about this, about uh, the multiple games on New Year's Day versus now only a couple of them. It's a couple of reasons why. But again, you cannot top the magic of March and the little guy having the chance. College football has never been able to grasp this or figure it out or correct it where the littlest guys getting access, the mm -hmm. mid-major program getting access to this tournament. That's the charm of what makes it great, along with a Gonzaga, a Kentucky, a Duke, a Kansas, a Michigan State, a UCLA, a Syracuse. Uh, that's how it works. Uh, again, as we continue with John Lewis of SportsMediaWatch.com, you brought up a great point, if I do say so myself. Duke gets ready to play on Thursday night as we release this podcast uh, in their Sweet 16 game with Texas Tech. And you pointed out this is it for a Coach K game on CBS on the over-the-air network, elaborate more on the setup and why. Well, you know, uh, CBS uh, does not have the Final Four this year. They finish up on Elite Eight Saturday, and uh, they get the Sun. Excuse me, they finish up on Elite Eight Sunday. They get the Sunday Elite Eight games. CBS gets the Saturday ones. So, 
If Duke advances past Thursday, they'll play on TBS in the Elite Eight Saturday. Then the Final Four and National Title game are on TBS as well. So that'll be it for Coach K. If you don't got cable, uh, you better, uh, and you're a big fan <laughs> of uh, Mike Krzyzewski, this is your last chance coming out Thursday to watch them. Or the March Madness app. Go get the March well, Madness app because you, you can watch you, that as well. No, because you got to authenticate with the cable provider for that. So you're out I of luck. Now, I will you say, at least don't they give you at least like an hour, like a free yeah, hour? They, they, they do to. give you three full hours, but you know, and that is kind of generous. I will say I tried to use the March Madness app on two different TVs uh, Thursday and Friday, and it just wasn't worth anything. First of all, what I hate most about it, you load it up, and instead of taking you directly to the action, you got to watch a commercial for AT and T first. I mean, <laughs> and let me just say i am so sick of lily from at and you have unfriended lily have you not in the in the present day social media vernacular you've unfriended lily at this point i i it's just it's it's just i can't it, you know first of all don't no one should ever mention lily from at&t and flow from progressive in the same sense because <laughs> flow from progressive does not irritate me i still like flow from progressive but, but you got to I mean, admit, it's effective that we remember her name and we remember it's AT&T, which is the whole idea, even though they've spent about a billion dollars on the ads with with Lily over the last few tournaments that they've had. For the well, that's true, because nobody even knows the name of the Toyota one. Toyota has one. And right. I you know what she looks like, but I, I can tell you her name. tell her name. You hardly ever see her anywhere. But you know who I will never forget, of course, is the, 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 the great... Uh, I'm talking about it like he's passed away. Forgive me for that. But, you know, the dude you're getting Adele guy, you know, yes. uh, never going to forget him. He was probably the king, right? Dude. The best of all of them. You're getting Adele. Uh, yeah. And, and back to that, I, I do like the one with Coach K, speaking of uh, of him. Where oh, she I mute them all. Where the, I know you hate them all, but I you should hate less the one where she deadpans back to him the whole month of March. You're going to be gone. It's a week to week thing, he says to well, her. Yeah, I, I didn't like say that one. I didn't say I hate all of them. I said I mute all of them. Oh, you as mute soon all of them. as that comes on. By the way, I left AT and T. My I left AT and T's <laughs> phone not because of the ads. This most expensive, not just insanely expensive plan imaginable. Okay, and I hope they're not our sponsor. But let me tell well, you what I did. If they do. were. They're not anymore. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Keep going. I went to there's something called T-Mobile Connect, and if you don't mm-hmm. use a lot of data, it's fifteen dollars for two point five gigs of data. It's hard capped but I don't use any data at all. And right. I was out here paying like $200 a month for unlimited data. And I mean, that's insane. I have no need for it. Right. So yeah. I went down to this $15 plan. And by the way, they're not a sponsor either. I'm just, so I, people need to know about this plan being available. Okay. $15 a month for, if you don't use data, it's, it's fantastic. John giving free endorsements away here for this different stuff on the sportsmediawatch.com uh, podcast. What do you project that Thursday, I think it's fascinating while we're just on this subject that they're making Gonzaga, the number one team in the country, the number one overall seed in the tournament. They're making them play just after 4 p.m. Pacific time in San Francisco. John, I, I am all but assuring you the arena is going to be half full at best for the first half of that game because nobody can get to the stinking game at four o'clock yeah. on a Thursday in San Francisco. I mean, not even the Warriors are playing that early with right. Steph Curry and company. But that is so that Coach K and Texas Tech are much more in the primetime window around 9.30, 9.45 Eastern time, 8.30, 8.45 Central, give or take, primetime slot in the West for that game with Texas Tech. What do you project that rating might be if it was 12 uh, for the Michigan State game, 11 million, not the rating, 11 million-ish audience. Might this be 14, 15 million or more on a Thursday night on CBS? What's your educated guess? What do you think? Yeah, definitely not, because you got to keep in mind, outside of the Elite Eight, you're not typically getting even, you know, 13 million for an individual window. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, certainly not a window where you're combined with another window on, on Turner. That's going to be uh, like when Kentucky was there back in 15, and we all know how big Kentucky was in 15. Um, I don't even know. undefeated season oh, yeah. marching to yeah. perfection, potentially to match Indiana 1976. And, and there was so much buildup for weeks is your yeah. point. Yeah. And that was what 8 million, I think for their game, which was on a Thursday night when Duke had Zion and we know how big Zion was their elite eight game against Virginia tech was 10 million. You know, I mean, there's no way. And first of all, this story isn't as big as people think with Duke and coach K 
Now, the game against Michigan State did really well on Sunday because it's Michigan State and Duke. It's two mm-hmm. blue bloods. But the game against uh, Cal State Fullerton, I mean, that was 3.5 million. That was down 44% from Duke, North Dakota State in the same window in 19. That, by the way, that 19 window, no out of home. So realistically, it's not even more than that. 44% decline from that window. And by the way, the Michigan State game, as well as it did, down 13% from Duke UCF in 19. So th- this story with Coach K, it's not at the level of where Duke was with Zion. And I don't really, you know, I mean, look, people, I, I look, the game against UNC, the final game that he coached at, at Cameron did really well, a lot better than I was thinking, a lot better than I thought regular season college basketball could still do. But the fact of the matter is, you know, we're talking about a coach here and the players draw the coaches, you know, unless you're a TV analyst, the coaches are not the draw. The players are, and realistically, I think, you know, you don't want to overstate how much Duke is going to draw beyond how well it typically does just because of the Coach K factor. Uh, I do think that that game against Texas Tech should be very competitive. I expect Duke to lose. I think Texas Tech should win that. I think, you know, they were in the national title game a few years ago. Uh, but I should point out my expertise is very limited given I picked Iowa to win the whole thing. But <laughs> I was going to say, know. you did have Iowa in the bracket. You're not alone, though. There's so many people that had Kentucky uh, as yeah. well and got blown up by St. Peter's uh, right away. Uh, and I think it's a bad matchup, too. And it's not that I don't want to see Duke move on, but Texas Tech is so good defensively, it could create problems. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, one more hypothetical for John here on this. If it is Duke-Gonzaga, and it is a standalone game, which will obviously be the late game, they'll put it as the late game on Saturday night. It will be on cable. Mm-hmm. How well in the prediction machine do you think that one might do? Again, Duke's got to get there. Gonzaga's got to get there. We understand that. Well, the only year that the cable games have done really well was the year when Kentucky went undefeated. Well, <laughs> tried to go undefeated, right? They failed, obviously. Right. But that was the only year where the cable games did really, really well. You know, you had, uh, I think it was, let me see here, 14. They played Notre Dame in the regional final, and I can't remember if that was the Saturday night or Sunday night. You probably have it in front of you. It was the Saturday they played, night. They played Notre Dame on a Saturday night, and how well did that do? It had 14.75 million. Interestingly enough, Duke Gonzaga had the exact same number of viewers on CBS the next day. Now, if a game on TBS on a Saturday night is doing as well as a game on CBS on a Sunday afternoon, you know it did really, really well. Other than that, realistically, the Turner Elite Eight games really are not particularly strong draws. Uh, You know, last year, last year, the Elite Eight will be up significantly from last year. Last year's Elite Eight numbers were really bad. That was the Monday, Tuesday Elite Eight. Um, But if you go back to 19, uh, I think Turner had 7.7 million for Texas Tech, Gonzaga, 10.5 million for Virginia, Purdue. Those are just, you know, those are all right. They're solid, you know, but realistically, I think if you get Duke, Gonzaga, late window, should do better than that. Maybe 12 million, 13 million. A game like that on a Sunday afternoon on CBS would be comfortably 15, 16 million. So you're talking about a little bit of a drop. All right. Good stuff from John Lewis here, sportsmediawatch.com. We are moving on to a couple of other subjects in just a second, but we should point out too, that one of the reasons why the TV nights were off in last year's COVID compressed tournament was because they were wanting a little more time, a day or two more from the conference tournaments until the beginning of play in case there were COVID positives on teams and could they work through it with an extra day or two with players testing negative, if need be, maybe, maybe not. That was part of why the finishes to that weekend were a Monday on the first weekend. And then, as you said, a Monday, Tuesday for the Elite Eight to come back around to the Final Four a few days later. Not the case. You're in the traditional parts of the window. One more note while we're here. Uh, We've been talking about this a couple of times on the podcast. Uh, We are grateful for the health reports on 82-year-old Dick Vitale. Dickie V. Awesome, baby. Dickie V. uh, Hanging in there battling cancer. Uh, right now and of course affecting his vocal cords he has gotten an excellent update that his cancer is in remission at the moment his vocal cords have healed he's allowed to begin talking on a smaller scale lower level not back to broadcasting will not apparently broadcast for the rest of this tournament but I just want to say here publicly on the podcast for our audience well wishes to Dick Vitale he's doing better he's feeling better he's still all over social media John I felt for him he was holding up that huge grease board on Twitter that said Kentucky national champs when the tournament began on that thir- began on that Thursday back a week ago 
And unfortunately, he, like everybody else, was done by Thursday night with his national champion pick. But Dickie V, we're glad that he's better. I know you echo that as well. Absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, uh, it's uh, good news, you know, uh, certainly uh, on both fronts. And uh, hopefully he'll be able to get back to what he does best next season and, uh, you know, be able to finish out the season as opposed to this year. No doubt. And, and he has been pointing to this right now through the rehab process, through resting his voice, not not being allowed to talk above a whisper, basically, or do anything uh, is is his Dick Vital Gala, which this will now be, I believe, the 16th or 17th one in Sarasota, Florida, where they raised tens of millions of dollars, literally in one night, not only for the V Foundation for Cancer Research, but specifically pediatric cancer has become the real crusade for Dick Vital, and it has hit home even more with his own cancer diagnosis here. So uh, that gala is the second weekend in May. He is aiming to be at that gala and be able to be there uh, and and be around everybody and be able to talk on a, on a limited basis, uh, et cetera, and good for Dickie V. Uh, you can go to his website, dickvital.com, and find out more about that gala and how to give and what they do. John, I can't overstate, again, being in West Central Florida as I am, I, I'm sitting right now hosting this podcast with you about an hour north of Sarasota where he holds this. There are millions and millions of dollars pumped into pediatric cancer in Florida and in other places specifically from this gala and the donations that continue to pour in. It's not, I mean, we can't overstate how worthwhile a cause this is. And it will be fantastic if Dick can be back and be part of that, which it looks like he will be uh, coming up. Any final thought there before we move off to college basketball? Are we good? Ready to move on? We can move on to uh, some of the other stuff going on. Sure. Let's do that. Since last we talked, it's official. Uh, ESPN has named Joe Buck and Troy Aikman together as their new Monday night football team, breaking the bank for both of them in excess of 15 million for Buck per season. I should have been a television broadcaster. Uh, Troy Aikman, what, 18 million yeah. as an analyst, a very similar to John Lewis's deal on the podcast, 90 million, uh, 90, 90 for an announcer to go to ESPN. All right, repeat for the audience here. You've said it some before. How shocked are you that this did come to fruition and come about that the Fox broadcasters, Buck and Aikman, synonymous with NFC football and the NFL on Fox, are now going to be on ESPN Monday Night Football? Well, I don't think it's shocking at all. I think we all knew uh, during the NFC Championship game that Buck and Aikman were going to go to ESPN. I'm kidding, of course, right? <laughs> you know, nobody thought that. Uh, look, uh, realistically, it is surprising, but it's not, you know, maybe we shouldn't be surprised anymore. The days of the, 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 the face of a network division are long over. The reality is CBS fired Brent Musburger 32 years ago. Brent was the face of CBS Sports. That's right. He was the face of CBS Sports, the brains of CBS Sports, the heart of CBS Sports. He was the whole thing. And they and said they fired him, if I can interject, on April Fool's Day, the day yeah. he was going to broadcast the national title game. And everybody couldn't believe it and thought it was a joke. And he confirmed yeah. it himself. Again, this is pre-internet. Mm -hmm. uh, you had the radio, et cetera. The word had gotten out. CBS is getting rid of him. And everybody thought it was an April Fool's joke, yeah. John. And it was the truth. Oh. Yeah. They told him to get out. That was it. I mean, the fact of the matter is they had a young, uh, a young guy named Jim Nance. They had, uh, you know, at that point, they still had, uh, you know, for baseball, I guess, Joe Buck or Jack Buck, I should say, was, right. was their number two guy. So they felt like they didn't have to, you know, spend the money. I'm sure Brent probably being, you know, as you know, Brent uh, seems to be the kind of guy who carries himself with a certain amount of confidence. I'm sure there were people gunning for him there and he was gone. So, and, and so from that moment on, realistically, the days of the, the, the face of a network were over, you know, uh, Keith Jackson at that point had already had his clashes with ABC under capital cities and wanting to get out, you know, his relationship there was strained. And those are the people that we're talking about, when we talk about the face of a network. So that was already gone. Then Al Michaels going, uh, from, you know, ABC to NBC really cemented that. Granted, ESPN and ABC are not the same thing, but we know that if Al really had stayed with that eight-year deal that he signed on Monday Night Football, he would have still been doing the NBA probably. He would have been around on, on ESPN and ABC. It's kind of similar. So when he went to NBC, that was shocking in and of itself. Tariko leaving ESPN was really shocking. 
right? Tariko, uh, who had really built himself up to be indispensable there, saying, no, I want to do an Olympics. I want to get a Super Bowl. So in that context, and I joked about it before, in that context, really Buck and Aikman leaving shouldn't be shocking. And the fact is, you know, for ESPN, it's uh, the culmination of something they've been trying to do for 20 years. They tried to get Bob Costas when they got the NBA the first time, and Bob wasn't interested. Uh, I think they tried to get Marv Albert and Turner uh, got Marv. Uh, they wanted to get Jim Nance at varying points. They, they made a run at Jim Nance multiple times. Uh, and, you know, ultimately ESPN for being ESPN, realistically, it's never been the equal to broadcast networks. Never. You know, in all of the years that it's been around, you know, being uh, the lead on a broadcast network has always been something that carries greater prestige than doing it for ESPN. So it is actually a significant, I mean, you know, ESPN doesn't bring in talent. They may develop it, but they don't bring in the greats from other places. For the audience that's uh, not maybe heard us discussing this before, iconically Pat Summerall and John Madden leaving CBS together to make Fox and to make Fox's NFL coverage. I mean, that was a seismic shift when you talk about faces of the network or faces of NFL football. I'm, I'm not saying that this is that, it's not that, but put it in context here because we've grown so accustomed for 20 years to those two guys doing the biggest game on Fox. Yeah. It, it is at least in the neighborhood of what Summerall and Madden did that they leave together to go to a right. high-profile game on Monday night that stands alone, right? Yeah, no, it is, it is reminiscent in that way. Uh, Buck and Aikman, nobody feels the way about them that people did about Summerall and Madden simply because we live in a much more negative society now than we did. Uh, it's kind of similar with LeBron and Jordan, where nobody feels the same way about LeBron they did about Jordan, because during Jordan's era, it was commonplace to, you know, venerate athletes like they were sainted figures. And now we throw tomatoes at them. Well, it's the same thing, you know, uh, and, and, and the reality is that people really, you know, people, people really hate Joe Buck, it seems like. It seems like they don't like Troy Aikman much either. And again, you know, Twitter, the, the denizens of Twitter and, and other forums they like to make themselves seem bigger than they are the reality is joe and troy have had this job for many years and if people really hated them so much fox's hand would kind of be forced but you know one way or the other whether the dislike of them is overstated and they are not loved the way that Patton and john were that's clear the reality is that uh you know so be it uh, they are the face of uh, were the face of Fox football. They've become associated with big games. Steve Levy, you know, probably deserved a lot better than he got. Same with Lou Riddick and Brian Greasy. The reality is Steve Levy, you might think of a big NHL game if you're old enough, but you don't think about a big NFL game where you hear Steve Levy's voice. All right. Uh, and when you hear Joe Buck's voice, you think not just about big games, you think of the biggest games, you think of Super sure. Bowl, World Series. And ESPN hasn't had anyone like that, even Mike Tirico, in its history. Buck is by far the most accomplished employee ESPN's ever had. Hey, we've reached the month of March and the mayhem and the madness is here. And if you're ready to experience it firsthand for the big dance, well, we've got the place to hook you up. It's Ticket Smarter and TicketSmarter.com. Hi, this is TJ Reeves, and yes, we're back to full capacity all across the college basketball landscape, and you want to get in with our friends at Ticket Smarter. You get a 100% guarantee on your tickets, and they've got them for more than 125,000 live concerts, sports events, theater events, and much more. The madness will be in full swing all the way through college basketball's championship, and we want you to experience it through Ticket Smarter and TicketSmarter.com. And we've got a special offer for those of you listening to us right here on College Basketball Coast to Coast. Use our promo code COAST22. That's COAST22, and you'll get $10 off your order every time with Ticket Smarter. Again, we know you're scouring for the best deals and the best seats all over the country for all of the college basketball action, and we encourage you to use Ticket Smarter, and we encourage you to use our code, COAST22. Save $10 every time that you make an order. Think smarter, Ticket Smarter, and our promo code, COAST22. 
Good stuff from John Lewis. Uh, we're going to play some Love It or Leave It here in a few minutes, but we're still on this subject of the NFL because it is so popular in the announcers and the musical chairs, et cetera. So Al Michaels, at the time that we're talking, the report is from Andrew Marchand of the New York Post, has accepted the Thursday night gig on Amazon Prime. We, get, we again, have been covering this. You've been writing about this on your site. That would pair him with Kirk Herbstreet. John, your thoughts? If it does become official and it, look like, it looks like it will, on that pairing and that decision. What are your thoughts real quick? It seems impossible to make 15, $16 million a year and feel disrespected, but I'm quite sure Al has had, uh, this has been a bit of a slap in the face for the greatest uh, of his era. I mean, ESPN said, well, we want Buck. That makes sense. It makes sense. Of course, you're going to go with Buck. The, the gulf between Buck and Michaels is not big enough to outweigh the fact that Joe Buck is 25 years younger, right? So, and you know, but I mean, for Fox, I mean, Al was sitting there waiting and going, hey, you know, I'm here. I'm not signing my deal yet. I'm available. You have mm -hmm. two Super Bowls in three years. I'll only be 80 on the third one. And uh, Fox said we want to do Kevin Burkhart. Now, look, I I don't know why I'm so kind of skeptical of Burkhart being in that role. I, uh, he's got a great story. And if it was Ian Eagle, I'd have no hesitation. Ian Eagle mm -hmm. needs to be on Super Bowls. I just have never thought about Burkhardt as being a Super Bowl guy. Fox clearly has a lot of confidence in him. I'm not, I, it's hard for me to imagine that when they made him the number two guy that they ever thought that he would replace Buck. Cause I think they thought they'd have Buck forever. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know about Kevin Burkhardt in the Super Bowl. So That's, I know, I know of Kevin's story. I've met him on a couple of occasions. And just so we're clear uh, on this, if you don't know the story, he's a guy that had done some broadcasting and then got out of it and was actually selling cars at one point. Then, then got encouraged to get back into it, continued to work hard. He began to work, and I'm going to give props out here. I work for a national radio outlet called Compass Media Networks. Compass Media Networks broadcast the NFL, major college football, major college basketball, among, among a lot of other syndicated shows, et cetera. He began to do Dallas Cowboy games the Compass Media Networks has a Dallas Cowboy alternate broadcast all over the country that vaulted him to Fox Sports and the opportunity to do the NFL. And it's really been a meteoric rise for him over the course of about a decade from doing national radio to now maybe being in that slot. You believe that if we if we haven't heard it soon, we will probably hear it soon that he'll be elevated to the number one team, probably with Greg Olson, the former Panthers tight end. They'll become the America's game of the week guys and they'll be the guys on the number one Fox crew. You believe that's what's going to happen, John? Well, I don't see any other. I mean, Al Michaels was their only off ramp because if they're, you know, I mean, realistically, that was their only other option. Now, I actually, I think Kenny Albert would be good, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I with Kenny Albert, it's odd. I, I don't think enough people pay attention to him. He doesn't engender a lot of backlash, but I suspect that if he got the job, people would not be pleased. I think people really resent any perception of nepotism. I think that's what has so badly hurt Joe Buck. Joe Buck is one of the greatest ever, and he would never agree with this sentiment ever. But I mean, I think most of us agree that he surpassed his father as an announcer, right? And so it's not nepotism. Certainly on television, his his father, iconic, iconic on the radio as the Cardinals announcer, iconic on CBS radio's coverage of the NFL and Monday Night Football and doing the Super Bowl, CBS radio baseball but only a little on the network TV yeah. side to go along with that. There is no comparison to the TV career of son versus the legend, Jack Buck on the radio. He's much more known for that. Agreed. Exactly. Exactly. And as far as Kenny goes, I mean, Marv and Marvin is prime is like uh, Jordan esque, right? Mm -hmm. But I mean, Kenny is more than capable of holding his own in terms of he would be here. Well, that's the question. He's got the talent to be where he is regardless of who his father was. But of course, you know, who his father was is probably why he got here. Kind of the same thing with Joe Buck. That's the problem with the nepotism. All these folks are really talented. They all belong where they are. But in an industry that is as competitive as this one, you know that the, the, the father thing really gave them the leg up, right? There you go. Gave and them that, the opportunity. Exactly. exactly. And that's exactly. why there's so much, you know, backlash against them. Now, me personally, I think Kenny is... a Maybe not quite at Super Bowl level. His NFL work isn't as strong as his NHL work. Agreed. But, you know, he, he and, would... and, agree, and I'm not sliding his NFL work, if I can just interject. He's fantastic sure. on hockey. And right. he deserves to be calling the Stanley Cup finals exactly. 
in hockey. And I know that's what you're saying. Yes, exactly. Like there's no question that Kenny belongs in the lead booth on hockey. He's a significant advantage for Turner. No offense to Sean McDonough, but we know that Kenny Albert's better on, on hockey than Sean McDonough mm-hmm. is just in terms of being more practiced at it recently. So, but you know, on football, it'd be more questionable, but I might say maybe Kenny Albert, you know, but he'd be the only other option. Let me hit you with one. And I love your opinions. And we're about to move on to a couple of other things. Uh, if Kenny Albert, if, if, if had only focused on the NFL and baseball on Fox, kind of like what the Burkhart role is, or now Joe Davis is the younger one and not so much the NHL, where he was working the NHL for the NBC family of networks and now working the NHL for TNT. Do you think it would be a different story or, I mean, what is your opinion on that? Because I think because my opinion outsider, no Kenny Albert, just a little bit. I think because he's so ingrained with the hockey Fox probably wants somebody that's more mm-hmm. in, in direct line, 45 degree angle, if you will, on the NFL and their baseball. What do you say to that? Well, I, I say Fox isn't going to have someone do the Super Bowl who does events for other networks, right? right. And that's the big one with, with Kenny. It's not so much that he does hockey. It's that he does, you know, he's the face of TNT's hockey coverage for NBC for many years. You know, you got to work there exclusively, right? Um, you know, you can't be doing the Deion Sanders thing. They want someone who's going to be there and be, you know, officially part of of the network. So I think that's the problem for, for Kenny as well. Um, and uh, ultimately, you know, it's going to be very, look, this is an opportunity for Fox. It's a problem and an opportunity. Two Super Bowls in three years means that three years from now, Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson will be a number one NFL team. Trial by fire, right? Uh, if you, and, uh, you know, sometimes these things don't work out. I was, uh, you know, as, time, as I do from time to time, watching a lot of old NBA, uh, I was watching Brad Nestler do some NBA games. It didn't really work. But, you know, that second year, he did the finals that first year, which was really not a good decision to put him on the finals. But the second year, his final year with the NBA, starting to get into his groove a little bit. He was a much better NBA broadcaster that second year. Uh, And maybe if he continued to do it for a while, he'd be associated with that. But, you know, it didn't work out. Ultimately, persistence and sticking with it is the best way to go. Not always, right? Like the Lakers probably shouldn't bring back this year's roster next year and try to make it work the second year in a row, right? (laughs) You think? Yeah, <laughs> probably not. Well, yeah. But, you know, if, if, if Burkhart and Olsen, if they stumble this year and it fails, you know, you got two Super Bowls in three years. And, and I have to imagine that that experience, three years of it, if you stick with it, if you don't do what ESPN does and constantly be looking around for other people to the point where your guys can't possibly have any confidence in, in, in their role, if you actually try to develop your talent, uh, which, you know, maybe they should try doing that in Bristol sometime. If you actually try developing your talent, there's an opportunity here to create a team that people think of when they think of the NFL. Maybe, I mean, they were so high on Greg Olson forever. This is his chance. And in CBS's case, it's Nance and Romo, to your point. NBC had Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth. That'll now be Tarico and Collinsworth. We'll see. Yeah how it all comes back around. I wish I did not have to bring this up, but I will bring it up that we lost a couple of broadcasters that a lot of the audience will know about, especially if you're older, you'll know the name Alan Massengale before we get to the more prominent name in the modern day. Uh, modern day. Alan Massengale was one of the forerunners, uh, John Lewis, on SportsCenter in the 1980s. He was only, I didn't realize this, he was only at ESPN, I believe, four years but again, we can't convey enough to the younger crowd. ESPN Sports Center was such a big deal back in the 80s pre-internet. You could not see the highlights of games everywhere at your fingertips, kids, on your phone or on your iPad or whatever you were watching. So you, it was appointment TV at 11 p.m. Eastern or midnight Eastern when they reran Sports Center or the late night Sports Center at 2 a.m. Eastern to watch the highlights. And Alan Massengale was part of the Sports Center family with the likes of Chris Berman, Bob Lee, Tom Meese, later Dan Patrick. But before Dan Patrick left CNN, where he'd been doing the highlights throughout the 80s, to come do the highlights and do the shows on ESPN. Alan Massengale was there with another guy named Larry Burnett. You talk about the way back, go search those two guys' names for the audience and for John, and you'll see some stuff on YouTube and elsewhere where they were constantly doing the highlights. Alan was a very funny guy. 
Uh, Allen, Allen was a very talented guy. He later worked for Fox Sports and their launch of the uh, of the Fox Sports regional networks and what's it called the National Sports Report. He was on that. He also worked uh, in big time TV in Miami and a couple of other markets. Allen unfortunately battled cancer for the better part of a decade, and it ended up claiming him about. Uh, a week and a half ago, a lot of his colleagues had a lot of outpouring on social media, uh, et cetera. I interacted with him a little bit. I got an opportunity a couple of times to exchange with him on social media and say, hey, as a, as a fellow broadcaster uh, that was up and coming and watching you, uh, j- just know that you meant something to a young TJ watching SportsCenter and thinking about being a sportscaster. He appreciated that. I encouraged him in his cancer battle, as so many others did. So Alan Massengale passed away. Uh, about 10 days ago. And then the other one that many more people are going to know much more currently is John Clayton, the longtime NFL insider, NFL TV personality on ESPN. Uh, He died after a brief illness last week as well at the age of 67. John, I I know you're much more in tune with the John Clayton era of ESPN. So what what would you like to say there in that situation? Well, you know, I mean, uh, certainly very sad to see that happen. And uh, John Clayton was uh, ubiquitous for so many years in ESPN. You know, it's so interesting, you know, how careers go in this industry. Clayton was so much part of the fabric, right? You watch SportsCenter anytime in the mid-2000s. Inside the huddle, John Clayton, ESPN, Mm -hmm. right? Every Mm -hmm. single time they had him do that ridiculous four down segment with Sean Salisbury and you know, uh, I know I'm trying to speak well of John Clayton. I hated those segments. I really did. Those were awful. But well, they were trying. They were trying by design to stir it up and get people to talk right. about it. So exactly. that part worked. But I, I agree that at times it became clownish. He and Salisbury. Yeah, it did. I agree. It did. And, uh, you know, uh, but I mean, they got so much out of him. You, know, you squeeze every single last drop of work out of somebody and then just, you know, lay them off. I hate that. Right. You know, and that's one of the things that no one really talks about. John Clayton got laid off. They laid him off in 2017 after all of the, you know, yep. all of the loyal service that he provided and how much value he added to ESPN. So, you know, uh, that was something that I that just came to mind because no one's mentioning it. Uh, certainly ESPN isn't mentioning it. Uh, uh, and I just thought that was worth noting. You know, uh, you know what else is worth noting is the humongous outpouring of fellow broadcasters, ESPN employees, and whomever that all said essentially the same thing, which is John Clayton would seek them out and would say to them, can I help you? I'm happy to help you. He was eager to help people. That's amazing. I I will again share with the audience here that I had some interaction with John when he was doing Seattle Seahawks radio work uh, the last few years of his career here. He had been doing Seattle Seahawks sideline reporting. I'm on the Buccaneers sidelines for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers radio broadcast. John Clayton doesn't know me from a doorknob necessarily. I'm a local regional broadcaster out of Florida that does some national stuff. But he knew who I was when he came over to the sideline. He said, TJ, John Clayton, stuck his hand out, John Lewis, TJ, John Clayton. And I got to and I got to say hello to the professor and could not have been more generous. Uh, I asked him to come on a couple of different interviews after that with different stuff. What time do you need me? Uh, Again, he did not have to be that way with me. He did not have to be that way with most of the people that he encountered in the business. He was fantastic. He will be missed. And if anything we take from this, take the attitude of John Clayton of paying it forward and wanting to help others out. Right, John Lewis. I know you echo that as well. No, Exactly. Exactly. Uh, You know, and uh, it is a tough industry. I imagine it's hard to always be at your best, you know, with the stress and, uh, but you always want to leave a good impression because uh, that nine times out of 10, that's all people will remember you for. And uh, you know, so it's always good to, to be your best self in that moment. And uh, it seems like John Clayton was very often. I will I will supply this a couple of other fascinating parts of that story. He became a big time information guy prior to Adam Schefter, prior to Ian Rappaport. I mean, he was one of the insiders that was constantly breaking those stories uh, in that role. Jay Glazer and others that now uh, do it so well. And I got one more for you. It all comes back to Florida, folks, on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. So the fabulous sports babe, Nancy Dunellen who was a trailblazer as a female sports radio host and became really the most prominent female to ever be a sports radio host in the mid-1990s. She left the Tampa Bay radio market first and went to the Seattle radio market and befriended a writer who had done some radio work named John Clayton. 
in the early 1990s, and she constantly had him on her radio show. She then hit the big time, Nancy Ellen, the fabulous sports babe, in the mid-1990s with ESPN Radio hiring her for Daily Show. Guess who became initially her prominent NFL insider on her radio show? John Clayton of the Tacoma News Tribune, I think it was called, and may still be in existence. And that was the entree that got John Clayton on ESPN yeah. TV eventually, John Lewis, yeah. was the fabulous sports babe, the radio show, and the relationship with John Clayton. And so I just thought I would share that, a little context in and around all of this uh, for what was a tremendous career. He is he is going to be known for a long, long time for his contribution uh, to the NFL. Uh, he was recognized by the pro football writers and, and their their uh, most distinguished, outstanding award. He's the former president of the Pro Football Writers Association. Can't say enough good things about John Clayton. Here just one more time on the podcast. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. It was from a time when you weren't a brand, right? Woj is a brand. Schefter is a brand. You would, it was a little bit more pure back then, I think. You know, uh, I don't think John Clayton was ever a brand in that way. And, uh, you know, it, it, you bring up the fabulous sports babe. It's fascinating as well. There's so much more opportunity. There's so many more places to become known. And yet it feels like there are fewer people in the industry now. Uh, it almost feels like, you know, you used to have a wider variety of folks who were involved back in the day. And there's not as many personalities. That, you know, I don't know. Sometimes it just seems like, you know, everyone is exactly the same, saying the same cookie things. Cutter. Same. Yeah, cookie, cutter. cookie cutter. Yeah, very cookie cutter. Very cookie cutter. Even with, you know, in the blogosphere, certainly, is you know, I mean, the blogosphere has changed so much. I mean, the, ba the just... babe was anything but cookie cutter, and that's why it worked, and yeah. that's why it worked from a yeah. female perspective. I still remember her, her doing her local radio show. I'm a young TJ listening as a teenager to her local radio show, and the Celtics and the Lakers are in their heyday. John, yeah. this is your wheelhouse of the NBA. And she had fans, and again, we're in Florida, so we're completely detached from the Celtics and Boston or the Lakers in LA, but she was from new England. She was from Boston. So she was unabashed rooting for bird and McHale and parish and those guys. And she'd have callers calling her uh, about the Celtics and the lake. And she would say, you, you, I, 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 you're trying to convert me to the Lakers. You're not allowed to do that. I will root for the communist Russians before I say anything good about the Lakers on this show, get out of here. And she'd hang up on them. And the babe was her own in that regard, come right after you. And uh, it was, uh, it was trailblazing stuff. And again, John Clayton was along uh, for the ride as well. And um, we salute, we salute him. And again, just go look at search his name on Twitter. And, and look at all of the prominent broadcasters that are saying the same kind of things I'm saying here about how much he helped them, how much he was willing to help them, uh, give them insight, give them guidance. That is a true testament um, out of that situation there. And I know the Seattle Seahawks have started a, a, a scholarship fund and, and some awards and some other things in and around that. And there'll be some others that'll probably uh, step up as well on that front. Let's end on a little happier note here. Uh, we, we customarily do this on the podcast. Here we go. Love it or leave it. So you've already mentioned about cutting the cord and, and about the, the screens. So did you not have multiple screens going because you had CBS here? We had the cable or whatever. Did you leave it alone and you only had the one screen going for the NCAA tournament here? You didn't oh, love yeah. it that much? Well, you know, so uh, I will say I did get the cord back for the tournament, a uh, two-week free trial of uh, YouTube TV. There we and, go. And, uh, you know, look, realistically, I only watch on one screen. I could watch on other screens, but I only watch on one, you know. I, I wanted to do the March Madness uh, app and to do two games at once, but it was buggy, didn't work very well, and I was just not interested, right? And again, you know, having to watch an AT&T ad before we go to action that's ridiculous. Or, the a Buick ad, ad. or whatever you know, they were the, sticking in. Uh, there, right yeah, there. Buick is, oh my gosh. Uh, Buick, there. So the ad where the kid is talking about, is this your new Buick, mom? No one, no one talks like that. And then, <laughs> you know, the ad where the woman gets into a car and she's like, wow, that spin class is really hard. I mean, that's the kind of thing you just quickly are searching for the remote, right. looking on the remote, wherever it is in the house. Uh, they hit that mute button. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, um, you know, for me, it's fine just with one screen, All right. you know, um, yeah, I, 
Dude, I could whip out my phone, a tablet. Yeah. But you know basketball what? is so yeah. much tougher with the multiple screens. Football, mm -hmm. there's breaks in the action in between yeah. plays. It's easier to keep up with. Basketball, there's the flow back and forth. It's tougher to have three, two or three going at once, to your yeah. point, for anybody. And, you know, all you end up with is, at varying points, three screens of ads, right? So at the very <laughs> least, you know, uh, you avoid that with a single screen. Understood. Um, and yeah, there, there will not be much more need for this because again, there's only going to be two games going on at once at any one time, Thursday and Friday, as we release the podcast and then single games from here on out, Saturday, Sunday, elite eight, final four and national championship game. But man, those 16 games going on Thursday and Friday with the multiple screens, yeah. uh, you almost, you almost need to break for the eyeballs and the, and the brain. If that is the case, let's continue. Love it or leave it. Instant replay is a big topic, and I'm a big instant replay guy. But can I can I kind of jump in here on leave it? Can we leave it alone mm -hmm. about the two and three minute reviews on who is the ball out of bounds on? For 40 plus years, we lived with the call. They called it and so be it. And if we can't tell in the first replay or two that it's obviously wrong, can we not move on? I know I'm hijacking love it or leave it for this part of it. John, you want to please back me on this for the love of all that is holy, the five minute review to see if somebody's fingertip touched the ball before it's out of bounds. Yeah. What are we doing? Uh, yeah. I mean, look, uh, when it's your team, you want that review, right? I mean, but realistically it is tedious, uh, takes forever. We're all sick of the refs. I think we're all sick of the refs, right? And they did such a poor job all weekend, particularly in the UNC Baylor game and, you know, missing that foul at the end of the TCU Arizona regulation. We're not dealing, you know, every year in March, you gain an appreciation for the NBA's officiating. And that is saying something. And the reality <laughs> is that, you know, the less face time for the refs, the better. Uh, so, uh, you know, to me, I say you don't want, I think it should be, you know, maybe a coach's challenge, right? And it's only in the last two minutes of the game. Coaches can challenge one call in the last two minutes that kind of keeps them honest and you don't have to deal with it all game long. It's what the NBA should do as well. And uh, granted, the last two minutes are, you know, going to be really long because I'm sure both coaches will use the challenge, but, right. you know, they're pretty long anyway. I don't, well, okay. So I don't want to be that restrictive, but I, from a time standpoint, it is right now the Wild West. They don't yeah. have any regulation on going over there for five minutes to look at who's the ball out of. Just wait. Just wait for this weekend. Just wait for the final four. We're going to buzzkill the end of a close dramatic game because they're standing over there with 43 seconds left looking at the eighth, ninth, tenth different yeah. look on is that off his finger or not yeah. uh, on an out-of-bounds play. It's just we, we've, we've bogged it down way too much. Um, way too much for that. Any final thought on that before we move on? Are you good? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, you said it uh, correctly. It takes too long. And uh, ultimately, you know, uh, it should really only be used on the most significant uh, calls. Uh, and uh, I don't know and who would trigger and One that. more, one more at the end of these games. What are we keeping track for timeouts for if we're going to have four or five of these reviews and let them huddle up with the coach to diagram mm -hmm. plays? Why don't we have timeout uh, counters on we're only supposed to have four for the game, three in the second half, because you lose one automatically in the first half. If we get to the final two minutes and you're going to have review after review where they let them huddle up and teams don't have a timeout left and they're allowed to huddle up and talk. What's the point? I'm just, yeah. I'm just on the soapbox on this, yeah. uh, on this portion of the show. Uh, a couple of more. Here we go. Love it or leave it. Any use for spring training baseball games on the tube or otherwise right now? I don't know this answer. Do you love watching a little spring training for a few innings if you can see it? Or you uh, leave it? Don't care. Well, I'm, I'm sure it'd be a great sleep aid. Sometimes you need that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, for me, no, I mean, spring training, are you, come on. I'm, I'm like Rob Manfred. I only watch baseball in October, you know? So. <laughs> Apparently, the, the, the way that that's going. All right, so not much on the spring training. And again, a lot more of the games were on TV this weekend, the first games, ESPN showing them, the MLB network showing them. 
again, I'm going to, I'm going to full disclosure. I'm going to go to a spring training game later this week. Cause I'm in West central Florida. The time to get there is about 30 minutes before the game, be there for the first two or three innings, because that's when the stars and the starters that you recognize are playing because by the fifth inning, John, that's when number 78 is pitching to number 62. And that's never good. That's like offensive lineman numbers and defensive lineman numbers in the NFL. Whenever you see that for spring training, you know we can hightail it out of here because these are guys that are going to be in double A or single A coming mm. up when the season starts. Just a little advice that I'm yeah, giving out wow. here. Just thought I, I think they need, uh, you should support those players. You should watch them. They serve one time. Why? Why? I'm not going to watch them during their season. Yeah, exactly. It's their one opportunity. Oh, their moment up with the big club. I see. But I don't have to support them after spring training. I just have to support them during this moment when they're with the big team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give them their their face time. You know, it's so interesting. People get so upset when they're doing something and folks are walking out. And, you know, uh, it's interesting. Sometimes they get upset that uh, people are walking out, even though they showed up like 40 minutes late. But that's a... (laughs) that's a good point on that uh other than that i think we're pretty well on uh on love it or leave it anything else in closing that comes to your mind here lots of march madness talk lots of nfl broadcaster talk here on the program anything else before we're done um no not really i mean uh i don't regret cutting the cord i'm looking forward i mean you know i might go and I'm not sure I'm going to keep cable past the tournament. To me, I find that uh, all I need is the 24-hour Mystery Science Theater channel. (laughs) It does exist. It just is nothing but Mystery Science Uh, Theater. Speaking of love it or leave it, uh, we don't want to have to do it officially one more time, but do you have a show that you've been binge-watching besides that channel recently? Could be new, could be old. Um, Been been binge-watching anything, John Lewis? Honestly, really just Mystery Science Theater it would qualify mm. as being binge-watched. Uh, you know, I uh, watched my usual assortment of American Dad and South Park, like the adolescent I am, right? Uh, and, I mean, honestly, what else am I watching? Let's see, because I, I mean, I have cut the cord, so how, I, I, uh, I'm able to keep up with American Dad and South Park because I bought the seasons. So, mm-hmm. other than that, I, I mean, realistically, my TV viewing is pretty down, Um which is good TV, you know, I don't know. I mean, what's, what is on? You know, you see the ads to these shows. Nobody's Are you saying ghosts. that Joe Buck's farewell on Fox as the mass singer didn't appeal to you with him taking off the mascot head yeah. and it's turned out to be Joe Buck. And that's the last that he's going to be on Fox before he does Monday night football. That was not appealing to John Lewis of SportsMediaWatch.com. Well, the last non-sports Fox program I watched was probably well sadly actually family guy this past sunday i'm ashamed to admit that <laughs> but other than family guy you're probably probably going back to like the mick which was canceled like two or three years ago i'm not watching the masked singer no way no way yeah uh, the, the only the only reality show i ever watched in my entire life was dream job on espn and that was because i didn't realize it was a reality show until you know, kind of two or three episodes in, right? Yeah, they were auditioning like, to be Sports Center anchors is what exactly. they were trying to do, and you had all. You're telling me you've never gotten into even a season of Survivor on never. CBS, never, never gotten into The Apprentice with the now never. president, never, never on that, never, never gotten into any of these uh, American Idols or no. any none of that. The the nope. voice, the music shows don't appeal to you. None of that. I'm telling you, there's a single reality show uh, that I've, well, you know, I, I, do the prank shows count as reality shows? Because like when Punch, I was like Ashton Kutcher, yeah, because yeah. yes. when I was a kid, there, the, the, the way that I found out who, um, what's her name? Ah, God, the Chelsea Handler show, uh, Girls Behaving Badly on Oxygen <laughs> when I was a kid. Talk about true confessions here. Yeah, I did. There was another show on the new TNN. It was called Ultimate Revenge. And I watched that too. Uh, The new TNN. Right. The Nashville network that just became TNN and then became something else. I don't even know what it became, but uh, punked, punked with Ashton Kutcher was on MTV and that was really good. Um, When he got Justin Timberlake and he got others uh, on that show with different pranks. I, I remember that one, but I don't remember the revenge show or the other one. 
Right. And I'm embarrassed to say I used to watch Scare Tactics as well. Uh, Scare Tactics, a sci-fi show where they would. And you know what? Actually, it's the weirdest thing in the world. You know how much I hate advertising and, and today's television. But they are showing ads for those three guys, the Impractical Jokers. And it was the weirdest sensation. I felt it was almost so pure. It took me back in time to the good old days. You know, there's something about that show, not even watching the show, but just seeing the ad for it. There was like, this is what I should be watching. You know? By the way, you're too young and I am still probably not old enough, but Candid Camera was yeah. the biggest deal in the 70s on the same yeah. thing where they were pranking people and it was on film. It wasn't even videotape. Yeah. It was movie film for that show wow. when they were doing the pranks. When you go way back, I'm sure that's available somewhere. YouTube, oh, yeah. some channel, something. Other than that, I think we've come to the end. John Lewis here of another SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Anything else, my friend, before we're golden and we're on to the Sweet 16 and wherever Coach K's run ends, whether it's here or whether it's at the Final Four in New Orleans, I'm very anxious to see about the basketball uh, for him. Again, Gonzaga, UCLA, brand names, North Carolina, Michigan, Villanova, yeah. Kansas, a lot of brand names playing in this weekend. All of them can't survive and win. But that, I mean, that's part of the tournament here is you've got some brand names involved and there'll be some interest for sure as we depart. Well, I can tell you the Sweet 16 ratings will be down because last year they were all individual windows. And remember that CBS and Turner combine the games together. So even though all of last year's games aired in individual windows, they still added those windows together. So the, the Sweet 16 will definitely be down, but the Elite Eight will definitely be up significantly. If we're comparing to uh, to 19, probably not much of a difference, but uh, so we prepared for that. And, you know, look, ultimately, if you're CBS and Turner, the tournament. Uh, oh, I know what I was going to say earlier. They should have gone to 96 teams. Remember when they were talking about 96 teams? No, no, no. It should be more because you just know you destroy the regular season. You you are picking up the mantle of all the coaches that have bonuses in their contract that say, if I make the NCAA tournament, I get another 50 grand. And if I win a game, I get 50 or 75 or 100 grand for winning a game. 96 teams means the end of the season in February means nothing. It means that 75 to 90 percent of all the power conferences will get all of their teams in the NCAA tournament. No. The no. tournament Rarely is... Rarely do I shut you down, but no on 96. No. no. The, the tournament is the season. And in my view, to already be done with the fun of having four networks, four games at a time, it just feels too quick. I say tack on an extra weekend. I mean, if I'm being real... I'm cool with 120. I'm like Dr. Evil on Austin Powers. How about no? Negative. No, leave it at 68. It's perfect where it is. It's just like, you know how they killed who wants to be a millionaire with Regis? Oh, yeah, they did. It was on once a week and it was on for a season like in the fall once a week. And then when we had to put it on twice a week and then we had to put it on every day, you killed it. Too much of it killed it. So it's the same thing with my NCAA basketball tournament. Do not listen to John Lewis and go to 96 teams. Do not dilute the product. Same thing with the bowl games. Back to that one more time because we're departing. Why do the bowl games get devalued? Because you let 50 teams in that have okay seasons and bowl games don't mean anything else. Go back to the 80s when there's 10 bowl games and it meant something to get to a bowl game and more people cared. Yes, there were less things to watch on TV, but more people cared because there was less of it and you earned it. You earned it more. I'm done. Wow. I've been on the soapbox right. like eight times with you tonight. I'm going to need some aspirin before we're done. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, this. you know, get the Exeteran. It's acetaminophen mm-hmm. plus aspirin and caffeine as well. So I think I need all of that maybe after this edition of the show. John, any final thoughts here on any of this uh, stuff or are we good? Well, I was going to say I never watched Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Never got into that one. Uh, I was always a family feud guy and I will leave you with my most controversial opinion. I do truly believe 100% that Ray Combs was the best of all those hosts. The late, great, dearly departed Ray Combs. He was the better best than one. the kisser Richard Dawson. Well, Richard Dawson would have been canceled 15 times by the end of the Different era. Different yeah. era. But there was what Ray had that Dawson didn't have and that Steve Harvey doesn't have, and certainly not, you know, Al from Tool Time or, or Peterman. <laughs> what, what, what Ray Combs had was he was really down to earth. He seemed like a regular guy. He was really charming, had a little bit of that wicked sense of humor, but 
he, he was just perfect for the role. He was the best of all of those hosts. That's my controversial opinion. That and the 96 teams. That, that is why we have John Lewis aboard here on the podcast to give you all takes on everything from broadcasters to the NCAA tournament to his top-ranked posts on Family Feud. Let's play the feud. Uh, I think we're good. John Lewis, thank you for another week on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. All right, thank you. And we thank you for listening. Again, find us through John's site, sportsmediawatch.com. We encourage you to read there. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Follow or subscribe. For now, we're good. Keep reading the site. Keep being with us on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online master's of social work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu.